The Red Knight is the goddess of tactics and strategy. She and her faith look to educate leaders and commanders in the matters of tactics and the importance of preparation. I'm Ben Dignan, and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. Titles The Red Knight goes by the following titles Lady of Strategy, Grandmaster of the Lance Board, and the Crimson General. The Red Knight has no known aliases. Portfolio and Domains The Red Knight holds the portfolios of strategy, planning, and tactics. The Red Knight's suggested domain for 5th edition is War though I do think you can make an argument for order as well. Appearance and Manifestations The Red Knight is commonly depicted as a woman with braided, dark hair, wearing crimson-colored armor. In both hands, she holds a map of Toril. Much like her symbol depicts a chess piece with stars for eyes, the Red Knight is said to have a constant glimmer to her eyes. The Red Knight herself has her own heraldic device, aka coat of arms. Her holy symbol on a white background, or field as it is referred to in heraldry. The Red Knight's avatars look exactly like her true divine form. An avatar may ride a giant red spiritual charger. This steed the Red Knight calls Phara, which is translated to fortitude in some unstated language. Farah may allow others to ride her, but only if the Red Knight deems it so. Farah is also capable of sprouting shadowy wings and taking to the air. A Red Knight avatar may also be accompanied by a giant Red War Hound. This canine is known as Pesar, translated to Perseverance yet again in an unstated language. Pesar has a strong sense of smell attuned to the scent of those who fled from battle or broken the promises and oaths made to their superiors. Pesar can then track any of these individuals without fail. A Red Knight avatar carries both a plus 5 lance and a plus 3 broadsword in 2nd edition mechanical terms. The shield the avatar holds is believed to be fashioned out of a massive glass-steeled ruby which holds the same qualities as a ring of spell-turning. The Red Knight's favorite weapon is the longsword she calls Checkmate. I would not be surprised if this is the same plus-three broadsword mentioned earlier, though the sources do not provide us with any further specifics as to what qualities this longsword may hold. The Red Knight has one known manifestation. A vision of a chessboard. If the person receiving the vision can discern which move is needed next on the board, this has been interpreted by the clergy as the Red Knight indicating what strategy is best called for in the person's current or future situation. The Red Knight makes use of the following creatures to communicate her approval, disapproval, or aid her mortal followers. Einhariar, Maruts, Purs, 
stone golems, and stone guardians made to resemble chess pieces, owls, eagles, falcons, elephants, pegasi, horses, and domesticated dogs and cats trained for battle. All the listed animals typically have a reddish color to them. The red knight may indicate her approval with the appearance of various red chess pieces carved from ruby. On the flip side, she shows her disfavor with the appearance of white chess pieces carved from crumbling white quartz. At other times, the red knight may impart a temporary buff to the intelligence or strength of a trusted animal companion in order to assist their owner. Abilities From her mention in 2nd edition and into 3rd edition, the Red Knight was known as a demigod. With the new divine ranks presented in 4th edition, the Red Knight was listed as an exarch. With another revision to the divine ranks in 5th edition, the Red Knight likely fits into the lesser deity category. The Red Knight lacks her own stat block but she has an avatar stat block in 2nd edition's Powers and Pantheons. We will touch on these avatars given abilities. Just keep in mind that terms and mechanics are from the 2nd edition game. All spheres of magic are available to the Red Knight's avatars, though she has a preference for spells from the combat, divination, travelers, and war spheres. Innately, the avatars can cast Shout at Will, and five times a day, an avatar may innately cast Great Shout. These spells aren't unholy like the Shatter spell from 5th edition. The Shout spell is emitted from the spellcaster. The spell has a chance of deafening those within its cone and doing a small amount of area of effect damage. Great Shout, as the name suggests, is far more destructive and larger. Normally, it does damage to the spellcaster who casts it, and there is a system shock rule involved on top of that. However, avatars of the Red Knight do not suffer any of these negative effects. An avatar is capable of casting the heal spell five times simply with a touch. So great is the leadership of the Red Knight, her avatars can rally any force three times per day. These avatars are simply unable to be unseated from her charger, Farah's back. Only an avatar can choose to willingly dismount. Only other deific entities are even able to target Farah while the avatar is by her side or mounted. From a tactical standpoint, you may never surprise a Red Knight's avatar in battle and warfare. These avatars have an inherent knowledge of every battle plan and will use such knowledge to counter what comes their way. The avatars are legendary for their use of terrain to their advantage. Red Knight avatars can pick out anyone or anything trying to camouflage or hide themselves. Finally, a Red Knight avatar is immune to enchantment-based magics and non-divine illusion-based magics have no effect on them either. Personal History Prior to becoming a goddess, the Red Knight was a mortal human woman who lived upon Faerun. Who she was before adopting the name the Red Knight is unknown save from Tempest. Should her true name be discovered, any being would have a varying level of control over the Red Knight and gain knowledge of the plans of the ruling powers of Faerun. When the Red Knight became a goddess is a confusing matter. 2nd edition and 3rd edition sources agree on one origin, but later 3rd edition sources conflict. 
So let's briefly go over what is stated. In the second edition setting revised box set from 1996, the Red Knight is described as her own separate goddess, but one whose cult who has not distanced itself yet from the Tempuran faith. Keep in mind this box set sets the realms in 1368 Dale Reckoning, 13 years after the Time of Troubles. Second edition's Powers and Pantheons, released in 1997, states that the Red Knight now has her own distinct faith. This book is written from the perspective of 1370 Dale Reckoning. It is possible that in a two-year time span between 1368 and 1370, a nascent Red Fellowship would emerge. I am inclined to believe that the framing of the Red Knight and her faith were adjusted so that the Red Knight's faith emerged sooner after the Time of Troubles, as I hope will become apparent soon. Ultimately, both sources distinctly call out that she had been a goddess even before the Time of Troubles. I would safely say she was given apotheosis by Tempest in between the time Tempest finally beat Garagos and took the portfolio of war sometime after 261 Dale Reckoning and the Time of Troubles in 1358 Dale Reckoning. I lean towards sometime closer to the Time of Troubles since 3rd edition's Faiths and Pantheons makes the remark that, quote, in recent years, Tempest sponsored the divinity of the Red Knight. Getting back to conflicts in lore, though. Overtly, Grand History of the Realms marks 1358 Dale Reckoning, the year of the Time of Troubles, as the time the Red Knight attained godhood. It is a puzzling statement since it is established in earlier sources that the Red Knight herself was a divine power that became her own avatar during the Time of Troubles. I do not know if this was some sort of mistake or retcon. Going forward, 4th edition has nothing to say on the matter, which isn't shocking given how sparse things are in 4th edition as it is. 5th edition's Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide does carry the perspective that the Red Knight emerged as a goddess directly as a result of her actions in the Time of Troubles. I would not be surprised if I'm missing or misconstrued some core piece of information that explains away my confusion. At least in 2nd edition and earlier 3rd edition products, it is stated that during the Time of Troubles, the Red Knight's avatar possessed a noblewoman from the Western Heartlands named Lady Caitlin Tyndall Bloodhawk. Lady Bloodhawk, at the time, was the leader of an adventuring band that grew into a mercenary company called the Company of the Red Falcon. At the time of the possession, Lady Bloodhawk and her company were exploring around the ruins of Tempest's Tears for some unsaid reason, though likely for treasure and adventure. After the two minds combined, the company struck out to Tithir. Many monsters had begun to surge forth out of the Wieldath, also known as the Forest of Tithir, to attack Tethir. Tethir at this time was already engulfed in turmoil as it, as it was, but those prior events had no real bearing on the topic at hand. On the eastern end of the Wieldath and its surrounding lands, the combined minds of Lady Bloodhawk and the Red Knight fought off and eventually cut down the monsters. This was despite the grave imbalance of the Red Falcon's numbers to that of the monsters initially but Grand History of the Realms conflicts this established lore 
by citing an insetting chapbook known as Red Her Valor, providing its own telling of the events. The narrative is framed as if the Red Knight attained apotheosis because of her actions here in Tathir. In any case, after the events of the Time of Troubles, sages think that a ruined mythal city, called Mithrin, deep in the Wheeldath, was awakened by the initial fallout of the Time of Troubles. This in turn caused the many monsters to fly out of the Wheeldath and into Greater Tathir. Unfortunately for them, they were beat back and routed by the tireless Red Knight at the head of the Company of the Red Falcon. Now this is from an insetting chapbook, so I think it is fair to assume that some artistic license has been taken with the tale, but I do find it interesting that there is no mention at all of Lady Bloodhawk. Instead, it is the Red Knight herself who kept Tithir from being overrun. As I will go on to mention though, Lady Bloodhawk would become a leading figure in the Red Fellowship after it split from Tempest's faith. Personality In 2nd edition, 3rd edition, and 5th edition, the Red Knight is listed as a lawful neutral goddess. In 4th edition's alternative alignment system, she's listed as a lawful good goddess. She is likely given a lawful good alignment in 4th edition, since it was the closest thing to her previous alignment and perspective, more so than her changing drastically to be fighting for the forces of good and righteousness. The Red Knight is composed and rational. She does show compassion, but she recognizes the need for casualties and deaths during wartime and battle to allow an unfolding plan to lead to victory. Despite being angered or annoyed, the Red Knight will keep her composure. Though analytical in personality, she isn't so distanced as to not enjoy a good joke or tale. The Red Knight despises those who are more chaotic in leading their lives. She makes no time for those who trade their alliances often and willingly. Personal Realms In the Great Wheel cosmological model used in 1st edition, 2nd edition, and is the assumed default model for 5th edition Forgotten Realms, 2nd edition's Powers and Pantheon states that the Red Knight resides on the Prime Material. This book says she resides somewhere on Toril, but no specifics are given. I think it is likely that she is constantly on the move. Tempest and the Red Knight are said to often visit past battle sites on Faerun. She likely also learns and refines what she knows of battle tactics as she travels. As I will soon describe, the Red Knight was later placed in the Outer Plains from 3rd edition onwards. If I had to guess where the Red Knight might be in 5th edition, I would propose four potential options. The first idea is the one I am most inclined to lean towards. The Red Knight potentially resides in limbo with Tempest out in his realm of Night's Rest, which went on to later be called Warrior's Rest. It isn't lost on me that the Red Knight's lawful neutral alignment is in direct opposition to the roiling, ever-changing, chaotic, neutral nature of Limbo. But just like the Gisarai, who are lawful neutral themselves, have gone on to build their monasteries there, I do think the Red Knight could easily form her own ordered small realm in Limbo. Other ideas include a realm out on Arcadia, the split Lawful Neutral, Lawful Good Outer Plane, Mechanus, the Lawful Neutral Outer Plane, 
or Acheron, the split lawful neutral, lawful evil, outer plane. Given the Red Knight's amicable and possible romantic ties to Torm, the ordered utopia of Arcadia might be to her liking. Acheron is another viable candidate considering the continuous wars and battles that roar across this outer plane. Lastly, Mechanus is another possibility since her alignment is represented best by this outer plane. Though there is less of a martial bent to Mechanus in comparison to Arcadia and Acheron. In the World Tree cosmological model used for 3rd edition Forgotten Realms, the Red Knight resides on the plane of Warrior's Rest presided over by Tempest, her superior. Warrior's Rest is a realm with raging battles, changing loyalties, and terrain that always seems to be in flux. All of Warrior's Rest is considered Tempest's realm. Though any other deity who lives here is allowed to shape their realms how they see fit, though Tempest always has it within his purview to change such realms. Petitioners here are expected to throw themselves into battle with gusto and brimming, com- and brimming confidence. Those who are slain begin to regenerate quickly to rise to fight again, though they must shift their loyalty to the side that defeated them. Permanent death, however, is reserved for the cowardly. The land on this plain is similar to a rocky desert. Mesas and buttes can be found spread across the otherwise flat landscape. Though through mental concentration, a person can will the terrain to take a desirable form. Such forms include things like trenches, slopes, chasms, and the like. 3rd edition's Player's Guide to Faerun includes a list of such choices and their associated difficulty check values. The Red Knight's personal realm is limited to her fortress known as the Red Tower. The tower as well as the land within one mile of it is not mutable like the rest of the terrain on Warrior's Rest. Aside from the petitioners of the Red Knight and Tempest, Githzerai and their monasteries can be found here. Petitioners leave the Githzerai monks alone, for if one of the monks kills the petitioners, their soul is destroyed outright due to the lawful alignment held by these monks. Though I have to wonder if that holds true for the Red Knight's petitioners, given the lawfulness they too emulate. Titans also live here and love to engage with the petitioners in endless battle. The souls of petitioners here look much as they did in their mortal lives, though in peak shape and form. Warriors of all stripes and creeds are found in the battles on Warrior's Rest. Within 4th edition's World Axis cosmological model, the Red Knight resides in Tempest's divine dominion of Warrior's Rest out in the Astral Sea. Much like the description given in the World Tree, this dominion is covered by rocky badlands that shift, while battles rage nonstop across the landscape. Tempest will move from hall to hall to celebrate with victors. Such victors are allowed to revel in their glory as long as they wish, as long as they are able to hold off any attacks that are then directed their way. Much like in the World Tree, the Red Knight's realm on this dominion is called the Red Tower. Allies and Allegiances First and foremost, the Red Knight's strongest alliance exists between her and her superior, Tempest. The relationship is likened to that of proud father and gifted daughter. Tempest and the Red Knight are often found side by side. They hunt, tell tales, 
feast, and visit all Faerunian battle sites. From there, the Red Knight has an alliance with Valkyr and Torm. Valkyr and the Red Knight have an understanding that they can both guide success for marines and sailors fighting out upon the waters. Though she is not a fan of Valkyr's chief concern lying with the protection of sailors, without holding as much an investment in the strategic elements of naval conflict. From a 4th edition perspective, both of them were under the fold of Tempest. Previously, Valkyr acted independently with no superior. Though with many of the revisions that 5th edition brought along with it, who is to say how the situation stands? Torm and the Red Knight share a deep respect for duty in battle. It is known that both of them are fond of one another. It is unclear whether they are romantically involved or just close friends. Torm and the Red Knight keep the nature of the relationship between themselves. It is interesting to note, though, that Tyr, Torm's own superior, was the one to direct Torm to foster this friendship to begin with. Tyr wants to see if through Torm, the Red Knight can be brought over to the lawful good side of righteousness and justice, rather than just being chiefly concerned with the more neutral aspects of combat and war under Tempest. Outside of the Faerunian pantheon, the Red Knight holds alliances with Clangedon Silverbeard, the lawful good dwarven god of battle and valor, and Avarine, lawful good halfling god of defense and halfling warriors. Enemies The Red Knight is stated to have two enemies. First is Garagos, chaotic neutral god of destruction and plunder. She holds an enmity for Garagos, an enmity that Tempest once shared as well. Tempest likes that the Red Knight, by her very nature, contradicts the uncontrolled battle fury espoused by Garagos. But Tempest has seemingly brought Garagos under his fold to some degree, in the hopes that Garagos draws out other war deities, who then can be taken down by Tempest. The Red Knight's second foe is Sirik, Keok, evil god of lies. The Red Knight loathes such an entity who holds the portfolios of such things that she just outwardly despises. Symbols In the Faerunian pantheon, the Red Knight's faith has one known symbol. The knight chess piece, red in color, with stars for eyes. Central Dogma From Face and Pantheons, a 3rd edition supplement. Quote, War is won by those with the best planning, strategy, and tactics, regardless of the apparent odds. Any fool can snatch defeat from the jaws of victory with fortune's aid. Only a master strategist can ensure lasting victory. War is a series of battles. Losing a battle does not necessarily indicate the war is lost. Seek out your opponent's weaknesses and recognize your own. Avoid an opponent's strengths and play to your own. Only by focusing one's own strengths on the opponent's vulnerabilities can triumph be ensured. In times of war, prepare for peace. In times of peace, prepare for war. Seek out your enemy's enemies as allies and be prepared to compromise. Life is an endless series of skirmishes with occasional outbreaks of war. Be ready and have a contingency plan. End quote. Presence of the Faith The Red Knight's clerics tend to hold a lawful disposition such as herself. They typically are lawful evil, lawful good, or lawful neutral. 
Her worshippers tend to include fighters, gamesters, monks, strategists, and tacticians. It is rare to find a faithful of the Red Knight among the common people of the realms. Still, those who are aware of her are supportive of her doctrine. Through it, people hope intelligent commanders and generals can hold back ravening hordes of monsters with the informed and practiced techniques they are taught. Following the Time of Troubles, it slowly became known that the Red Knight was a distinct divine power separate from Tempest. Though for a time, many still thought her still just to be a cultish aspect of Tempest. A movement called the Great Stratagem was enacted to change this. The Red Fellowship traveled to many military academies and royal courts offering their counsel in matters of war and tactics. Frequently, their counsel was turned away. It did not go without notice, though, that as time progressed, victors in war often had the counsel of the Red Fellowship to thank. With the spreading knowledge came the spread of her faith in places of worship dedicated in her name. In present-day late 15th century Faerun, the Red Knight is most likely known to be a separate power by most. Members of the Red Fellowship can be found throughout Faerun almost always operating in martial institutions or organizations. Officers and commanders in various nations, militaries, instructors and teachers at war colleges, and acting quartermasters. Several have also penned guides and tomes on military tactics and strategy. The renown of the clerics of the Red Knight has spread throughout several militaries. It has been reported that in some battles, that an imposing commander will surrender to the other side upon learning a cleric of the Red Fellowship leads the other side. Despite even outnumbering this Red Fellowship commander three to one at times. Given the downright familial relationship Tempest and the Red Knight have, their two faiths are at odds occasionally. From the perspective of the Red Fellowship, Temperans are far too eager to launch themselves into battle without enough forethought and planning. Mentioned in the previous episode, Temperans gritted their teeth and accepted the separation of the Red Knight's faith from their own, since it was mandated from their patron god. Hierarchy and Structure of the Clergy Collectively, the clergy of the Red Knight may be referred to as the Red Fellowship or the Holy Strategists. The Red Fellowship once was part of an order of the Temperan faith with a focus on strategy and planning. Following the Time of Troubles, the Fellowship would break off and form the first members of the distinct faith devoted to the Red Knight. At least in 2nd edition's Powers and Pantheons, it is stated that the small fellowship is made up of an equal numbers of monks, clerics, crusaders, and specialty priests. The Red Fellowship used the following ranks for their clergy in ascending order. Page, Squire, Knight, Knight Quartermaster, Knight Commander, Knight Captain, Lord Knight, Lord Knight Commandant, and Lord Knight of the Red Standard. Initially, there were subranks to delineate seniority even further, but with the increase in the Red Fellowship, this has become impractical. Responsibilities and Duties of the Faithful In their off time, the Red Fellowship are fond of strategy gaming. They leave games of chance to the followers of Taimora. 
Likely coming as no surprise, chess is the game of choice and holds a lot of religious meaning and significance for the Red Knight's faithful. As a brief aside, the game of chess on Faerun may also be referred to as Lanceboard, hence one of the Red Knight's given titles, or castles. The Red Fellowship are fond of abstract games as well, which challenge their critical thinking and allow them to develop unorthodox strategies to help to refine the traditional ones that they have already come to learn. Many of the Red Fellowship have several carved chess pieces to resemble the Red Knight's symbol in their possession. They are encouraged to use them in wagers, hand them out as gifts, or sell them if in need of coin. Orders and Priestly Bodies The Order of the Red Falcon, formerly known as the Mercenary Company of the Red Falcon, is now a holy paladin order dedicated to the Red Knight. The company having turned into a holy order, seemingly following the time of troubles. Mentioned before, this is the company, the merged avatar of the Red Knight, and Lady Bloodhawk led during the time of troubles to fight off the hordes threatening to fear. Lady Bloodhawk led this order at its founding, and has since presumably died, living out the rest of her years as a human. This order is stationed in the Citadel of Strategic Militancy to the northeast of Baldur's Gate. Some of the orders stay to teach at the Citadel's own military academy, known as the Red War College. Others attend to other militaries where they administer their services and counsel. But should the order deem it so, all are called back to fight on behalf of the order and the Red Fellowship. Third edition's Champions of Valor quotes the membership to be around 50 or so individuals. Appearance and Dress The ceremonial dress of the Red Fellowship includes crimson-colored plate mail or half-plate. Over the mail is worn a white tabard displaying the Red Knight symbol on its front. Despite holding Tempest as a superior to their own patron goddess, the Red Fellowship are allowed to wear full helms with visors that can obscure their faces. Full helms are worn especially when an impression needs to be made. Clerical vestments are robes of differing red hues and white accents. The lighter the red color worn by the clergy member, the higher in rank they are. Holy symbols worn by the Red Fellowship are often carved out of some red-colored gemstone. When adventuring, members of the Red Fellowship will wear the armor with the best protection available to them, so long as they are proficient with it. Armor may show wear and be marked, but the faithful try to maintain and polish their armor as best as they can to be presentable. Each carries a battle standard, and those with their own coat of arms are permitted to show them on their shield. The battle standard displays the Red Knight symbol, and those without a coat of arms to display choose to put the Red Knight symbol upon their shield. The standard may be wrapped up or hidden, so long as the situation calls for it strategically. Rituals The Red Fellowship pray and meditate on their spells before going to bed. Common prayers may begin with the lines, O Lady of Clear Calm, or Great Lady of Armor Blood Red. Commonly, coins won at playing strategic games are offered to the altars of the Red Knight. The greatest offering that can be made to the Red Knight is a brand new game of strategy assembled with pieces and all. 
If offered at a place of worship, it will not be long until the clergy claim it. If offered in private, a person is to bury this new game along with the carved symbol of the Red Knight and a drop of their own blood. Prayers are typically made quietly to the Red Knight. Typical prayers ask for insight into an enemy's plans and inspiration to develop or utilize tactics that will help to win the day. All brainstorming on strategy and dreams that contain battle are thought to be gifts from the Red Knight herself. It is then deeply frowned upon if a worshipper is to claim credit when they put a developed strategy to good use. In time, it may be that the Red Knight presents a worshipper with a unique title to call her. This the Red Knight does in the dreams of her longest-serving worshippers. A worshipper who loses that battle offers up a bloody shard of armor to the Red Knight's altar. They are to find a good piece of armor, break off a sharp piece of it, and cut themselves. The blood from the wound is then smeared upon this shard. No healing is to be attempted or asked for until the prayer is made at the Red Knight's altar. Long-standing worshippers have the habit of breaking off bits of good armor they come across in the field. This is so that they are then ready should they fail in the future. Grand victory is to be celebrated at the Red Knight's altar as well. Worshippers may place weapons, armor, or even the bodily remains of their defeated foe upon the altar as they make their prayer. If an altar is not readily available, it is acceptable to make such prayer right on the battlefield over top the defeated foe. The Red Knight's faith observe all the same holy days that are practiced by the Temperan faith. See the previous episode for more details. But the Red Fellowship have two distinct holy days as well. The first is called the Retreat. The Retreat is held during Midwinter's Day between the months of Hammer and Alturiac. This is a serious and studious event, and the whole day is set aside to observe the Retreat. The faithful sit and go over important battle reports provided to their institution over the past year. The various stratagems used are analyzed and committed to parchment to go into the faith's own records. The second holy day is called the Queen's Gambit and is held on the first day of Tarsac. All things considered for the Red Fellowship, this is a laid-back ceremony where feasts are held and games tournaments are run. In particular, the big event is the days-long chess tourney. Another game that is played is Go, imported from Karatur in the East. Winners may receive various sorts of prizes a new honorific or title, an item from the armory, or a promotion in the faith. General Characteristics of Places of Worship For a long while, the Red Knight had no proper temple dedicated in her name, and any of her shrines were only found in temples dedicated to Tempest. That, of course, began to change following the Time of Troubles. Typical temple grounds are cleared and built to serve as a pavilion and courtyard. Here, mercenary and military companies can rent these sections to drill, parade, and conduct other training. The Red Fellowship encourages this practice, as it is thought that conducting these things on the Red Knight's temple grounds pleases her. Within the temple proper can be found all sorts of motifs and images of chess pieces decorating the interior. 
The floor is tiled in a checkerboard, or chessboard if you will, pattern. These marble squares either are interchangeably colored red and white, or the traditional black and white. The clergy ensure this floor is always in pristine condition. Constructs made of stone are positioned throughout such temples as guards. The constructs are made to specifically resemble various chess pieces. They are colored either crimson or white to represent the opposing sides in chess. Each and every temple to the Red Knight includes an altar to Tempest. Shrines to the Red Knight may be found in various Faerunian barracks and forts. Some of the simplest shrines to the Red Knight are simply just a singular chess piece placed in an alcove. Specific Places of Worship Ed Greenwood was asked on Twitter where the largest temple to the Red Knight can be found. Ed provided us with two unique locations. His own words can be found in a linked tweet in the episode's description. The largest temple in terms of resident clergy and influence can be found in the Chesenton city of Akanax, specifically in the Thares Quarter district of the city. This temple is called the War Fortress Hall. The temple doubles as a small square stone castle. Physically, the largest temple is the Red Knight's Holy Roost in the Tethyrian city of Serodush. Though many outside of Tethyr disagree with this claim. This is because the temple grounds is spread out to include the Holy Hall at the center, a refectory around the hall, an armory, and a stable. The number of clergy here, however, is only half the number found at War Fortress Hall. Several buildings just outside the temple grounds house Red Fellowship on the Mend, retired members, and those being treated with PTSD. As mentioned before, the Citadel of Strategic Militancy is the base of operations for the Order of the Red Falcon. Prior to the Time of Troubles, these grounds were the familial home of the Bloodhawk family. Lady Bloodhawk would return to these grounds only to find them a smoking ruin after the Time of Troubles. Try as she might, Lady Bloodhawk never found who raised her family home. A new citadel was raised and now serves two purposes. First, as mentioned before, it is the base of operations for the Order of the Red Falcon that the Lady Bloodhawk would go on to lead. Second, it was consecrated as the Temple to the Red Knight. The main keep is roofed by a red dome. The walls are tiled in marble and are laid out in a red and white checkerboard pattern. The main temple is laid out like a large chessboard. There, the clergy carry out their games of strategy that double as ritual. Encircling the citadel in a 20-mile radius is farmland that is tended to by workers in service to the citadel. In the cold of winter, the clergy use this farmland for battlefield training. The citadel lies 40 miles northeast of Ballers Gate, where the Coastway and Thundar's Ride meet. Character Options For 2nd edition, the Holy Strategist Specialty Priest can be found in Powers and Pantheons. For 3rd edition, Red Falcon Paladin Substitution Levels can be found in Champions of Valor. Dragon Issue 317 contains specific feats and spells for members of the Red Fellowship. The following is a breakdown of the features that I think someone deeply involved in the Red Fellowship as an, as an acolyte or otherwise could have for a custom background in 5th edition. 
for your two skill proficiencies, history, then one of either persuasion or intimidation. For language or tool proficiencies, cartographer's tools, and dragon chess gaming set. For the equipment you gain from the background, either the Knight of the Order, the Mercenary Veteran from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, the Nobles, or the Soldiers from the Player's Handbook. For the feature, for the background feature, there's the Acolyte's Shelter of the Faithful, the Soldier's Military Rank, the couple different noble features provided, which are all given in the Player's Handbook, or the Knight of the Order's Knightly Regard, the Mercenary Veteran's Mercenary Life, which are all from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. The following is just a list of subclasses to consider that I think would be thematically appropriate for an NPC or PC to have if they are a worshipper of the Red Knight. For the Bard, there's the College of Valor from the Player's Handbook and the College of Swords from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Cleric, there's the War Domain from the Player's Handbook or the Order Domain from Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. For the Fighter, there's the Battlemaster and Champion from the Player's Handbook, Cavalier from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and Purple Dragon Knight from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. For Monk, there's Way of the Open Hand from the Player's Handbook. For Paladin, there's the Oath of Devotion from the Player's Handbook, Oath of Conquest from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and Oath of the Crown from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. For Sorcerer, there's the Divine Soul Sorcerer from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Finally, for Wizards, there's the War Wizard from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Dungeon Master Options Starting out, let's just list off some of the official 5th edition monsters that would be likely tied to the Red Fellowship. From the Monster Manual, Stone Golem, Owl, Eagle, Elephant, Pegasus, Warhorse, Cat, Mastiff, Animated Armor, and Flying Sword. From Waterdeep, Dragon Heist, the Falcon. From Tales from the Yawning Portal, the Flying Shield. In Mordekind's Tome of Foes, there's the Marut, which is also now in Monsters of the Multiverse. And finally, from Curse of Strahd, Phantom Warrior. I listed off some monsters that the Red Knight makes use of towards the beginning of the episode some of which don't have any proper stat blocks yet in 5th edition, so I just wanted to go over a few of those. Anharia are celestial warriors who fell in battle as humanoids. Of course, these celestial warriors may be known to you better through Norse myth, and indeed they have a large presence on the outer plane of Ysgard. They can be found in the 3rd edition supplement Deities and Demigods, 2nd edition's Monstrous Compendium Outer Planes Appendix, in Planescape Monstrous Compendium Appendix, and then in 1st Edition's Manual of the Plains. Purrs are grim-looking outer planar warriors who guard portals to the upper plains. They look like humans wearing ornate steel or bronze armor and wield sentient frost-branded greatswords. They have true sight and are never surprised. They have an innate aura that surrounds them at all times, just as if a continuous shield spell had been cast upon them. They are fanatical and will not abandon their posts. Deific level entities that may be concerned about a given portal will be alerted physically by any purrs they share a small mental link with 
if said portals come into question. Purrs can be found in 2nd edition's Monstrous Compendium Appendix. Stone Guardians are a variation on the Stone Golem. These creatures are formed through a combination of spells, mud material that will then become transmuted eventually to become stone, and an enchanted heart of stone. These creatures range from human to about oversize and height. Statistics and further lore for Stone Guardians can be found in 1st edition's Monster Manual 2 and 2nd edition's Monstrous Manual. Rounding out this section on stat blocks, this is just a list of NPC stat blocks that could be tied to the Red Fellowship and the Red Knight's Faith. Keep in mind with spellcasters, you can always swap out their listed spells for those that are more fitting. From the Monster Manual, Acolyte, Priest, Knight, Noble, and Veteran. From Baldur's Gate Descent into Vernus, these are members of Bane's Faith, but I do think you can reskin them to be members of the Red Fellowship. The Black Gauntlet of Bane, the Fist of Bane, and Iron Consul. From Waterdeep Dragon Heist, Sergeant. From Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, the Soldier. And then finally, from Volo's Guide to Monsters, the Archer, the Blackguard or Blackguard, the Champion, War Priest, and Warlord. All these are now then found also in Monsters of the Multiverse. Moving on to magic items. The Master Technician is a holy tome for the Red Fellowship. It is about as big as your standard spellbook. The cover is made of metal and the front cover is stamped with the Red Knight's holy symbol and profile. Both covers bear scratches no doubt from use in battle. The paper is heavy, the font is blocky, and smaller writing runs along the margins. The core writing in blocking letters is written in Chesentin. Then the writing along the margins are distinct comments from differing hands. The book was penned by a Red Fellowship priest who had made a name for himself as a mercenary commander throughout the Dragon Coast before returning to Chesenta. I will emphasize the point that he was a priest of the Red Knight before the Time of Troubles. See again how the lore conflicts as to when she became a goddess. The article where the Master Technician is described was written in 2004 before 2007's Grand History of the Realms came out to seemingly change the Red Knight's origins. Getting back to the Holy Tome, though, this book was built to emulate the Red Book of War, a Holy Tome in the Temper and Faith. Check out the last episode for more details. This priest returned to the Chesentin city of Simbar, where he wrote down the differing strategies and events of his mercenary campaigns. He left the last portion of the book to pen three unique spells for the Red Fellowship clergy. This priest would die during the events of the Time of Troubles. The comments made in the margins of the Master Technician are from fellow and later Red Fellowship members expanding on the author's tactics and teachings. In 1373 Dale Reckoning, its last known location was in the hands of a zealous Red Fellowship priestess who absconded with the tome. Her intent was to form her own theocratic nation in the Border Kingdoms. Though given what we know about the Border Kingdoms presently, it would seem that dream did not become a reality. The description and contents of the Master Technician can be found in a web article put out by Wizards of the Coast in 2004. 
I have included a link in the episode description that utilizes the Wayback Machine to access this otherwise unavailable article. The following are some thematically appropriate magic items from official 5th edition sources I feel the Red Fellowship may have access to. From the Dungeon Master's Guide, plus 1 to plus 3 armor and weapons, adamantine armor, animated shield, armor of invulnerability, cloak of protection, Darren's instant fortress, dancing sword, defender, gauntlets of ogre power, horseshoes of a zephyr, horseshoes of speed, mace of terror, potion of heroism, potion of invulnerability, ring of protection, rod of alertness, rod of rulership, saddle of the cavalier, and spellguard shield. From Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, a reflavored Boros Guild Signet, Boros Kirun, Azorius Kirun. From Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, the Battering Shield. From Candlekeep Mysteries, the Watchful Helm. From Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, plus one to plus three Amulet of the Devout and the Guardian Emblem. From Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage, Potion of Watchful Rest. And then from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, Armor of Gleaming, and Cloak of Billowing. Alright, thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. If you're interested in keeping up with the release of future episodes, you can follow the podcast Twitter account at Realms Religion. These episodes are uploaded to YouTube as well. Audio versions of the podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. In the next episode, I will be covering Sunni, who is commonly just called Soon, the chaotic good, greater goddess of love, beauty, and passion. Until next time, may Timora look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode, Wolf Fang Legends by Ian Grimm, tubersongs.com.